chapter nine of the theory of psychoanalysis by carl gustav jung this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine the therapeutical principles of psychoanalysis while the psychoanalyst of course knows of this therapeutic tendency to extricate the patient from his unhealthy fantasies he also knows just how far this mere extricating of neurotic patients from their fantasies goes as physicians we should never think of preferring a difficult and complicated method assailed by all authorities to a simple clear and easy one without good reason i am perfectly well acquainted with hypnotic suggestion and with dubois's method of persuasion but i do not use these methods on account of their relative inadequacy for the same reason i do not use the direct re-education de la volonté as the psychoanalytic method gives me better results in applying psychoanalysis we must grant the regressive fantasies of the patient for psychoanalysis has a much broader outlook as regards the valuation of symptoms than have the above psychotherapeutic methods these all emanate from the assertion that a neurosis is an absolute morbid formation the reigning school of neurology has never thought of considering neurosis as a healing process also and of attributing to the neurotic formations a quite special teleological meaning neurosis like every other disease is a compromise between the morbid tendencies and the normal function modern medicine no longer considers fever as the illness itself but a purposeful reaction of the organism psychoanalysis likewise no longer conceives a neurosis as a ao ipso morbid but as also having a meaning and a purpose from this there follows the more reserved and expectant attitude of psychoanalysis towards neurosis psychoanalysis does not judge the value of the symptoms but first tries to understand what tendencies lie beneath these symptoms if we were able to abolish a neurosis in the same way for instance as a cancer is destroyed then at the same time there would be destroyed a great amount of available energy also we save this energy that is we make it serve the purposes of the instinct for health as soon as we can trace the meaning of these symptoms by taking part in the regressive movement of the patient those unfamiliar with the essentials of psychoanalysis will have some difficulty in understanding how a therapeutic effect can come to pass when the physician takes part in the pernicious fantasies of the patient not only critics but the patients also doubt the therapeutic value of such a method which concentrates attention upon fantasies which the patient rejects as worthless and reprehensible the patients will often tell you that their former physicians forbade them to occupy themselves with their fantasies and told them that they must only consider that it is well with them when they are free if but momentarily from their awful torments so it seems strange enough that it should be of any use to them when the treatment brings them back to the very thing from which they have tried it constantly to escape the following answer may be made all depends upon the position which the patient takes up towards his own fantasies these fantasies have been hitherto for the patient an absolutely passive and involuntary manifestation 
as we say he was lost in his dreams the patient's so-called brooding is an involuntary kind of dreaming too what psychoanalysis demands from a patient is only apparently the same only a man who has a very superficial knowledge of psychoanalysis can confuse this passive dreaming with the position taken up in analysis what psychoanalysis asks from the patient is just the contrary of what the patient has always done the patient can be compared to a person who unintentionally has fallen into the water and sunk whilst psychoanalysis wants him to dive in as it was no mere chance which led him to fall in at just that spot there lies a sunken treasure and only a diver can raise it the patient judging his fantasies from the standpoint of his reason regards them as valueless and senseless but in reality the fantasies have their great influence on the patient because they are of great importance they are old sunken treasures which can only be recovered by a diver that is the patients contrary to their want must now pay an active attention to their inner life where they formerly dreamed they must now think consciously and intentionally this new way of thinking about himself has about as much resemblance to the patient's former mental condition as a diver has to a drowning man the earlier joy in indulgence has now become a purpose and a name that is has become work the patient assisted by the physician occupies himself with his fantasies not to lose himself therein but to uproot them piece by piece and to bring them into daylight he thus reaches an objective standpoint towards his inner life and everything he formerly loathed and feared is now considered consciously this contains the basis of the whole psychoanalytic therapy in consequence of his illness the patient stood partially or totally outside of real life consequently he neglected many of his life's duties either in regard to social work or to the ordinary daily tasks if he wishes to be well he must return to the fulfilment of his particular obligations let me say by way of caution that we are not to understand by such duties some general ethical postulates but duties towards himself nor does this mean that they are eo ipso egoistic interests since we are social beings as well a matter too easily forgotten by individualists an ordinary person will feel very much more comfortable sharing a common virtue than possessing an individual vice even if the latter is a very seductive one they must be already neurotic or otherwise extraordinary people who can be deluded by such particular interests the neurotic fled from his duties and his libido withdrew at least partly from the tasks imposed by real life in consequence the libido became introverted and directed towards an inner life the libido followed the path of regression to a large extent fantasies replaced reality because the patient refused to overcome certain real difficulties unconsciously the neurotic patient prefers and very often consciously too his dreams and fantasies to reality to bring him back to real life and to the fulfilment of its necessary duties the analysis proceeds along the same false path of regression which has been taken by his libido so that the beginning of psychoanalysis looks as if it were supporting the morbid tendencies of the patient but psychoanalysis follows these fantasies these wrong paths in order to restore the libido which is the valuable part of the fantasies to the conscious self and to the duties of the moment 
this can only be done by bringing the fantasies into the light of day and along with them the libido bound up with them we might leave these unconscious fantasies to their shadowy existence if no libido were attached to them it is unavoidable that the patient feeling himself at the beginning of analysis confirmed in his regressive tendencies leads his analytical interest amid increasing resistances down to the depths of the shadowy world we can easily understand that any physician who is a normal person experiences the greatest resistance towards the thoroughly morbid regressive tendency of the patient since he feels quite certain that this tendency is pathological and this all the more because as physician he believes he is right in refusing to give heed to his patient's fantasies it is quite conceivable that the physician feels a repulsion towards this tendency it is undoubtedly repugnant to see how a person is completely given up to such fantasies finding only himself of any importance and never ceasing to admire or despise himself the aesthetic sense of normal people has as a rule little pleasure in neurotic fantasies even if it does not find them absolutely repulsive the psychoanalyst must put aside such aesthetic judgment just as every physician must who really tries to help his patients he may not fear any dirty work of course there are a great many patients physically ill who without undergoing an exact examination or local treatment do recover by the use of general physical dietetic or suggestive means severe cases can however only be helped by a more exact examination and therapy based on a profound knowledge of the illness our psychotherapeutic methods hitherto have been like these general measures in slight cases they did no harm on the contrary they were often of great service but for a great many patients these measures have proved inadequate if they really can be helped it will be by psychoanalysis which is not to say that psychoanalysis is a universal panacea such a sneer proceeds only from ill-natured criticism we know very well that psychoanalysis fails in many cases as everybody knows we shall never be able to cure all illnesses this diving work of analysis brings dirty matter piecemeal out of the slime which must then be cleansed before we can tell its value the dirty fantasies are valueless and are thrown aside but the libido actuating them is of value and this after cleansing becomes serviceable again to the psychoanalyst as to every specialist it will sometimes seem that the fantasies have also a value of their own and not only by reason of the libido linked with them but their value is not in the first instance for the patient for the physician these fantasies have a scientific value just as it is of special interest to the surgeon to know whether the pus contained staphylococci or streptococci to the patient it is all the same and for him it is better that the doctor conceal his scientific interest in order not to tempt him to have greater pleasure than necessary in his fantasies the etiological importance which is attached to these fantasies incorrectly to my mind explains why so much room is given up in psychoanalytic literature to the extensive discussion of the various sexual fantasies once it is known that absolutely nothing is impossible in the sphere of sexual fantasy the former estimate of these fantasies will disappear and therewith the endeavour to discover in them an etiological import nor will the most extended discussion of these cases ever be able to exhaust this sphere every case is theoretically inexhaustible but in general the production of fantasy ceases after a time naturally we must not conclude from this that the possibility of creating fantasies is exhausted but the cessation in their production only means that there is then 
no more libido on the path of regression the end of the regressive movement is reached as soon as the libido takes hold of the present real duties of life and is used to solve those problems but there are cases and these are not a few where the patient continues longer than usual to produce endless fantastic manifestations either from his own pleasure in them or from certain false expectations on the part of the doctor such a mistake is especially easy for beginners since blinded by the present psychoanalytical discussion they keep their interest fixed on these fantasies because they seem to possess etiological significance they are therefore constantly at pains to fish up fantasies of early childhood vainly hoping to find thus the solution of the neurotic difficulties they do not see that the solution lies in action and in the fulfilment of certain necessary duties of life it will be objected that the neurosis is entirely due to the incapacity of the patient to carry out these very demands of life and that therapy by the analysis of the unconscious ought to enable him to do so or at least give him means to do so the objection put in this way is perfectly valid but we have to add that it is only so when the patient is really conscious of the duties he has to fulfil not only academically in their general theoretical outlines but in their most minute details it is characteristic for neurotic people to be wanting in this knowledge although because of their intelligence they are well aware of the general duties of life and struggle perhaps only too hard to fulfil the prescriptions of current morality but the much more important duties which he ought to fulfil towards himself are to a great extent unknown to the neurotic sometimes even they are not known at all it is not enough therefore to follow the patient blindfold on the path of regression and to push him by an inopportune etiological interest back into his infantile fantasies i have often heard from patients with whom the psychoanalytic treatment has come to a standstill the doctor believes i must have somewhere some infantile trauma or an infantile fantasy which i am still repressing apart from the cases where this supposition was really true i have seen cases in which the stoppage was caused by the fact that the libido hauled up by the analysis sank back into the depths again for want of employment this was due to the physician's attention being directed entirely to the infantile fantasies and his failing therefore to see what duties of the moment the patient had to fulfil the consequence was that the libido brought forth by analysis always sank back again as no opportunity for further activity was found there are many patients who on their own account discover their life tasks and abandon the production of regressive fantasies pretty soon because they prefer to live in reality rather than in their fantasies it is a pity that this cannot be said of all patients a good many of them forsake for a long time or even forever the fulfilment of their life tasks and prefer their idle neurotic dreaming i must again emphasize that we do not understand by dreaming always a conscious phenomenon in accordance with these facts and these views the character of psychoanalysis has changed during the course of time if the first stage of psychoanalysis was perhaps a kind of surgery which would remove from the mind of the patient the foreign body the blocked effect the later form has been a kind of historical method which tries to investigate carefully the genesis of the neurosis down to its smallest details and to reduce it to its earliest origins the conception of transference this last method has unmistakably been due to strong scientific interest the traces of which are clearly seen in the delineations of cases so far thanks to this freud was also able to discover wherein lay the therapeutical effect of psychoanalysis 
whilst formerly this was sought in the discharge of a traumatic effect it was now seen that the fantasies produced were especially associated with the personality of the physician for it caused this process transference eubertragum owing to the fact that the images of the parents imagines are henceforth transferred to the physician along with the infantile attitude of mind adopted towards the parents the transference does not arise solely in the intellectual sphere but the libido bound up with the fantasy is transferred together with the fantasy itself to the personality of the physician so that the physician replaces the parents to a certain extent all the apparently sexual fantasies which have been connected with the parents are now connected with the physician and the less this is realized by the patient the more he will be unconsciously bound to his physician this recognition is in many ways of prime importance this process has an important biological value for the patient the less libido he gives to reality the more exaggerated will be his fantasies and the more he will be cut off from the world typical of neurotic people is their attitude of disharmony towards reality that is their diminished capacity for adaptation through the transference to the physician a bridge is built across which the patient can get away from his family into reality in other words he can emerge from his infantile environment into the world of grown-up people for here the physician stands for a part of the extra-familial world but on the other hand this transference is a powerful hindrance to the progress of treatment for the patient assimilates the personality of the physician as if he did stand for father or mother and not for a part of the extra-familial world if the patient could acquire the image of the physician as a part of the non-infantile world he would gain a considerable advantage but transference has the opposite effect hence the whole advantage of the new acquisition is neutralized the more the patient succeeds in regarding his doctor as he does any other individual the more he is able to consider himself objectively the greater becomes the advantage of transference the less he is able to consider his doctor in this way the more the physician is assimilated with the father the less is the advantage of the transference and the greater will be its harm the familial environment of the patient has only become increased by an additional personality assimilated to his parents the patient himself is as before still in his childish surroundings and therefore maintains his infantile attitude of mind in this manner all the advantages of transference can be lost there are patients who follow the analysis with the greatest interest without making the slightest improvement remaining extraordinarily productive in fantasies although the whole development of their neurosis even to the smallest details has been brought to light a physician under the influence of the historical view might be thus easily thrown into confusion and would have to ask himself what is there in this case still to be analyzed those are just the cases of which i spoke before where it is no longer a matter of the analysis of the historical material but we have now to face a practical problem the overcoming of the inadequate infantile attitude of mind of course the historical analysis would show repeatedly that the patient had a childish attitude towards his physician but it would not bring us any solution of the question how that attitude could be changed to a certain extent this serious disadvantage of transference is found in every case gradually it has been proved that this part of psychoanalysis is considered from a scientific standpoint extraordinarily interesting and of great value but in its practical aspect of less importance than that which has now to follow namely the analysis of the transference confession and psychoanalysis 
before we enter into a more detailed consideration of this practical part of psychoanalysis i should like to mention a parallelism between the first part of psychoanalysis and a historical institution of our civilization it is not difficult to guess this parallelism we find it in the religious institution called confession by nothing are people more cut off from fellowship with others than by a secret born about within them it is not that a secret actually cuts off a person from communicating with his fellows yet somehow personal secrets which are zealously guarded do have this effect sinful deeds and thoughts for instance are the secrets which separate one person from another great relief is therefore gained by confessing them this relief is due to the readmission of the individual to the community his loneliness which was so difficult to bear ceases herein lies the essential value of the confession but this confession means at the same time through the phenomenon of transference and its unconscious fantasies that the individual becomes tied to his confessor this was probably instinctively intended by the church the fact that perhaps the greater part of humanity wants to be guided justifies the moral value attributed to this institution by the church the priest is furnished with all the attributes of paternal authority and upon him rests the obligation to guide his congregation just as a father guides his children thus the priest replaces the parents and to a certain extent frees his people from their infantile bonds in so far as the priest is a highly moral personality with a nobility of soul and an adequate culture this institution may be commended as a splendid instance of social control and education which served humanity during the space of two thousand years so long as the christian church of the middle ages was capable of being the guardian of culture and science in which role her success was in part due to her wide toleration of the secular element confession was an admirable method for the education of the people but confession lost its greatest value at least for the more educated as soon as the church was unable to maintain her leadership over the more emancipated portion of the community and became incapable through her rigidity of following the intellectual life of the nations the more highly educated men of to-day do not want to be guided by a belief or a rigid dogma they want to understand therefore they put aside everything that they do not understand and the religious symbol is very little accessible for general understanding the sacrificium intellectus is an act of violence to which the moral conscience of the highly developed man is opposed but in a large number of cases transference to and dependence upon the analyst could be considered as a sufficient end with a definite therapeutic effect if the analyst were in every respect a great personality capable and competent to guide the patients given into his charge and to be a father of his people but a modern mentally developed person desires to guide himself and to stand on his own feet he wants to take the helm in his own hands the steering has too long been done by others he wants to understand in other words he wants to be a grown-up person it is much easier to be guided but this no longer suits the well-educated of the present time for they feel the necessity of the moral independence demanded by the spirit of our time modern humanity demands moral autonomy psychoanalysis has to allow this claim and refuses to guide and to advise the psychoanalytic physician knows his own shortcomings too well and therefore cannot believe that he can be father and leader his highest ambition must only consist in educating his patients to become independent personalities and in freeing them from their unconscious dependency within infantile limitations psychoanalysis has therefore to analyze the transference a task left untouched by the priest 
in so doing the unconscious dependence upon the physician is cut off and the patient is put upon his own feet this at least is the end at which the physician aims the analysis of the transference we have already seen that the transference brings about difficulties because the personality of the physician is assimilated with the image of the patient's parents the first part of the analysis the investigation of the patient's complexes is rather easy chiefly because a man is relieved by ridding himself of his secrets difficulties and pains in the second place he experiences a peculiar satisfaction from at last finding some one who shows interest in all those things to which nobody hitherto would listen it is very agreeable to find a person who tries to understand him and does not shrink back in the third place the expressed intention of the physician to understand him and to follow him through all his erring ways pathetically affects the patient the feeling of being understood is especially sweet to the solitary souls who are forever longing for understanding in this they are insatiable the beginning of the analysis is for these reasons fairly easy and simple the improvement so easily gained and the sometimes striking change in the patient's condition of health are a great temptation to the psychoanalytic beginner to slip into a therapeutic optimism and an analytical superficiality neither of which would correspond to the seriousness and the difficulties of the situation the trumpeting of therapeutic successes is nowhere more contemptible than in psychoanalysis for no one is better able to understand than a psychoanalyst how the so-called result of the therapy depends on the cooperation of nature and the patient himself the psychoanalyst may rest content with possessing an advanced scientific insight the prevailing psychoanalytic literature cannot be spared reproach that some of its works do give a false impression as to its real nature there are therapeutical publications from which the uninitiated receive the impression that psychoanalysis is more or less a clever trick with astonishing effects the first part of analysis where we try to understand and which as we have seen before offers much relief to the patient's feelings is responsible for these illusions these incidental benefits help the phenomenon of transference the patient has long felt the need of help to free him from his inward isolation and his lack of self-understanding so he gives way to his transference after first struggling against it for a neurotic person the transference is an ideal situation he himself makes no effort and nevertheless another person meets him halfway with an apparent affectionate understanding does not even get annoyed or leave off his patient endeavours although he himself is sometimes stubborn and makes childish resistances by this means the strongest resistances are melted away for the interest of the physician meets the need of a better adaptation to extra-familial reality the patient obtains through the transference not only his parents who used to bestow great attention upon him but in addition he gets a relationship outside the family and thus fulfils a necessary duty of life the therapeutical success so often to be seen at the same time fortifies the patient's belief that this new gain situation is an excellent one here we can easily understand that the patient is not in the least inclined to abandon this newly found advantage if it depended upon him he would be forever associated with his physician in consequence he begins to produce all kinds of fantasies in order to find possible ways of maintaining the association with his physician he makes the greatest resistances towards his physician when the latter tries to dissolve the transference at the same time we must not forget that for our patients the acquisition of a relationship outside the family is one of the most important duties of life 
and one moreover which up to this moment they had failed or but very imperfectly succeeded in accomplishing i must oppose myself energetically to the view that we always mean by this relationship outside the family a sexual relation in its popular sense this is the misunderstanding fallen into by so many neurotic people who believe that a right attitude toward reality is only to be found by way of concrete sexuality there are even physicians not psychoanalysts who are of the same conviction but this is the primitive adaptation which we find among uncivilized people under primitive conditions if we lend uncritical support to this tendency of neurotic people to adapt themselves in an infantile way we just encourage them in the infantilism from which they are suffering the neurotic patient has to learn that higher adaptation which is demanded by life from civilized and grown-up people whoever has a tendency to sink lower will proceed to do so for this end he does not need psychoanalysis but we must be careful not to fall into the opposite extreme and believe that we can create by analysis great personalities psychoanalysis stands above traditional morality it follows no arbitrary moral standard it is only a means to bring to light the individual trends and to develop and harmonize them as perfectly as possible analysis must be a biological method that is a method which tries to connect the highest subjective well-being with the most valuable biological activity the best result for a person who passes through analysis is that he becomes at the end what he really is in harmony with himself neither bad nor good but an ordinary human being psychoanalysis cannot be considered a method of education if by education is understood the possibility of shaping a tree to a highly artificial form but whoever has the higher conception of education will most prize that educational method which can cultivate a tree so that it shall fulfil to perfection its own natural conditions of growth we yield too much to the ridiculous fear that we are at bottom quite impossible beings and that if every one were to appear as he really is a dreadful social catastrophe would result the individualistic thinkers of our day insist on understanding by people as they really are only the discontented anarchistic and egotistic element in humanity they quite forget that this same humanity has created those well-established forms of our civilization which possess greater strength and solidity than all the anarchistic undercurrents when we try to dissolve the transference we have to fight against powers which have not only neurotic value but also universal normal significance when we try to bring the patient to the dissolution of his transference we are asking more from him than is generally asked of the average man we ask that he should subdue himself wholly only certain religions have made such a claim on humanity and it is this demand which makes the second part of analysis so difficult the technique that we have to employ for the analysis of the transference is exactly the same as that before described naturally the problem as to what the patient must do with the libido which is now withdrawn from the physician comes to the fore here again there is a great danger for the beginner as he will be inclined to suggest or to give suggestive advice this would be extremely pleasant for the patient in every respect and therefore fatal the problem of self-analysis i think here is the place to say something about the indispensable conditions of the psychology of the psychoanalyst himself psychoanalysis is by no means an instrument applied to the patient only it is self-evident that it must be applied to the psychoanalyst first i believe that it is not only a moral but a professional duty also for the physician to submit himself to the psychoanalytic process in order to clean his mind from his own unconscious interferences 
even if he is entitled to trust to his own personal honesty that will not suffice to save him from the misleading influences of his own unconscious the unconscious is unknown even to the most frank and honest person without analysis the physician will inevitably be blindfolded in all those places where he meets his own complexes this is a situation of dangerous importance in the analysis of transference do not forget that the complexes of a neurotic are only the complexes of all human beings the psychoanalyst included through the interference of your own hidden wishes you will do the greatest harm to your patients the psychoanalyst must never forget that the final aim of psychoanalysis is the personal freedom and moral independence of the patient the analysis of dreams here as everywhere in analysis we have to follow the patient along the line of his own impulses even if the path seems to be a wrong one error is just as important a condition of mental progress as truth in this second step of analysis with all its hidden precipices and sandbanks we owe a great deal to dreams at the beginning of analysis dreams chiefly helped in discovering fantasies here they guide us in a most valuable way to the application of the libido freud's work laid the foundation of an immense increase in our knowledge in regard to the interpretation of the dream's content through its historical material and its tendency to express wishes he showed us how dreams opened the way to the acquisition of unconscious material in accordance with his genius for the purely historical method he apprises us chiefly of the analytical relations although this method is incontestably of the greatest importance we ought not to take up this standpoint exclusively as such an historical conception does not sufficiently take account of the teleological meaning of dreams conscious thinking would be quite insufficiently characterized if we considered it only from its historical determinants for its complete valuation we have unquestionably to consider its teleological or prospective meaning as well if we pursued the history of the english parliament back to its first origin we should certainly arrive at a perfect understanding of its development and the determination of its present form but we should know nothing about its prospective function that is about the work which it has to accomplish now and in the future the same thing is to be said about dreams their prospective function has been valued only by superstitious peoples and times but probably there is much truth in their view not that we pretend that dreams have any prophetic foreboding but we suggest that there might be a possibility of discovering in their unconscious material those future combinations which are subliminal just because they have not reached the distinctiveness or the intensity which consciousness requires here i am thinking of those indistinct presentments of the future which we sometimes have which are nothing else than subliminal combinations the objective value of which we are not able to apperceive the future tendencies of the patient are elaborated by this indirect analysis and if this work is successful the convalescent passes out of treatment and out of his half infantile state of transference into life which has been inwardly carefully prepared for which has been chosen by himself and to which after many deliberations he has at last made up his mind End of chapter nine